0: I think there are a lot of young women, and there are a lot of women conducting. I think whether people choose to see them or not is a different question.
1: From New York to San Francisco, Houston to Chicago, the residents of Villa Albertine have traversed the United States. Here, they look back on their journeys into the arts and ideas. Their visits were supported by Villa Albertine, which has connected French talents and the American cultural scene since 2021. Come and join me as we meet some of the artists and thinkers shaping the culture of tomorrow. I'm Rachel Donadio, and you're listening to Coast to Coast, a podcast series produced by Villa Albertine and Paradiso Media. Our guest today, Stephanie Childress. Stephanie Childress is the assistant director of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, In 2000, she placed second in the inaugural La Maestra competition, honoring women conductors. A violinist by training, Childress has conducted with the Orchestre de Paris and London Symphony Orchestra. She was part of Villa Albertine's 2021 residency. Here, she reflects on her experience visiting orchestras across the U.S. Stephanie, it's really a pleasure speaking with you, and I'm very curious to ask you about your experience traveling around the United States, visiting these different orchestras. What did you go in search of, and what did you find?
0: Well, God, that's a big question. Um, I think what I was searching for was firstly just a greater familiarity, sort of more, greater knowledge about um, American orchestras. I mean, Despite being an American citizen, my father's American. I did primarily grow up in London. I was born in London and spent all my life in the UK. So my musical culture has always been very much focused in Europe. And I think since, um, moving to the States for a couple of months, you know, I'm the currently the assistant conductor of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. I did have a very deep desire to get to know these sort of neighbouring institutions, let's call them. That was one of the primary reasons. The secondary reason was probably more to do with the very rich recording history that a lot of top American orchestras have and how that Ameri- that recording history has sort of created very specific sound um, personalities. Back in the day when when recordings were really becoming preponderant, apparently you could distinct You could tell the cleveland orchestra from the philadelphia orchestra from the new york orchestra just from listening to them so they had a very distinctive sound profile and i don't think that's so much the case nowadays i mean people are sort of moving around a lot a lot of musicians sort of rotate between orchestras take auditions and move jobs and stuff so i don't think the sound is as unique as it was back in the day. But I do think American orchestras still have a very interesting sound profile and I wanted to get to know to see if that was really true.
1: And you traveled to listen to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under two different conductors, the Atlanta Symphony, the L.A. Symphony, the San Francisco Symphony. Tell us a little bit, Stephanie, about some of the orchestras that you went to hear. I'm just curious if there was something that you saw in your travels where you thought, oh, this is really working and this is a model that we could look to, whether that's about programming or about youth outreach or education or even just an approach to the rehearsals that you watched.
0: One of my most enjoyable experiences, let's put it that way, was in San Francisco watching Esa Beka conduct Stravinsky's Oedipus Rex with a kind of semi-staging going on by Peter Sellers, who I think is one of the greatest directors who's ever lived. And that was just Phenomenal, And I mean, I look at the, the programming of the San Francisco Symphony and, and I think it's very reflective also of what is happening in the city. I mean, they have some fantastic contemporary art galleries and exhibits. Um, I feel it's a city that also because it has so much good sort of financial infrastructure with, you know, the business that's going on there and the tech and stuff, they do have a more forward-moving approach to programming. And that's, for me, what I I loved the most about that organization and getting to know that organization. And that's one of the things that also I was trying to observe during my time in the States was really, you know, how do um, the orchestras reflect the city that they live in, if they do at all? And I think San Francisco was a really good example of that. I feel they're very connected to the artistic community around them. You know, they're not necessarily sort of inward looking i guess the main thing i would love to sort of raise awareness for is the fact that art is political i'm a huge believer in that just because i think also the the process that goes behind making art is political because it comes from your sources of funding or the musicians you choose to include in a project or choose to exclude from i mean it's all music and the arts are a part of society's fabric in more ways than in you know the healing beautiful therapeutic ways and um, ways that it it can be a part of someone's life but it really it boils down to the way that countries are run and that um, governments choose to treat their people um, and society at large.
1: You've also talked in the past and thought hard about questions of inclusivity when it comes to orchestras and when it comes even to conductors. There aren't that many women out there conducting. There aren't that many young women like you conducting. What are some of your thoughts about that?
0: Well, I sure would disagree. I think there are a lot of young women and there are a lot of women conducting. Um, I think whether people choose to see them or not is a different question. I have been surrounded by female conductors my entire life and just by conductors, you know the competition I did in Paris La Maestra was designed to promote not only female conductors, but the idea of having a female leader. But for me, inclusivity comes from, again, from education and from showing people that you can expand a role to include all sexes and however you might identify. I think our notion of leadership and authority has also changed over the last century. It's no longer about the big maestro who is the big dictator um, wielding the big baton. Its authority is much more varied and can be subtle at times. It's not about having female conductors on the podium. It's about opening, as a society, collectively opening our minds to the idea of having different versions of, let's say, opening up the idea of authority in itself
1: and making it more varied. You are 23. You have been a virtuoso violinist, and now you're a conductor in St. Louis, and you've also conducted in Paris and in many other Places have you developed some thoughts about where you think orchestras are are going and where you would would like them to be going?
0: I think the future of of orchestras and of classical music is very uncertain. The statistics don't look great. That I can say, you know, fewer and fewer people are going to concerts. You know, fewer people are listening to classical music, and I think. The way that we redress that or address that problem in itself is, is twofold. One is to do with education. I think unfortunately we're gravitating towards into a world where people expect things to be understood in a split second rather than taking the time to really gestate over something, for example. I mean, for me, the biggest thing with art is that it is supposed to be Difficult sometimes we shouldn't shy away from that. You wouldn't just stick a child in a science lab with a lab coat and tons of solutions in front of them and say, okay, well, it's chemistry. It should be simple. Just figure it out for yourself, right? There's always a teacher there sort of guiding you. And, and I think for me, in a way, that should be the same way with art. You know, you, you do need someone sometimes to take your hand and to guide you through some of these really difficult concepts, like, You know, in classical music, if it's great art, it'll it'll touch you and you'll become entranced and your life will be changed by it forever. Like I believe in that in some cases, and I do believe that people can have, as I have, can have very powerful experiences with works of art. But at the same time, I do think you need to have a predisposition towards it. And that's where education comes in.
1: Do you think that European orchestras can learn anything from the American orchestras or are orchestras around the world just kind of similar? They just It just depends on different funding sources, more public in Europe and more private in the United States. Where do you see spots of dynamism and spots of maybe less dynamism?
0: I have a lot of thoughts about it, but um, what I will say generally is that um, I think both can learn. Um, both sides of the Atlantic can really learn from each other. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest successes in a way about the orchestral um, model in the US is that it is primarily donor-based. And it does mean that as long as you have donors, then you will have, you know, an orchestra. Whereas in Europe, everything does just feel so much more precarious where it's it's when the government decides to give you money this year or whether you meet their targets. You know, it, it feels like a much um tighter source of funding and it requires you to check a lot of boxes having said that you know having a primarily donor-based system in the us also poses a lot of problems in the sense that a lot of those donors are of a particular um, demographic and therefore they will probably want to hear certain types of music and not others you know I think if you're if you're relying on the generosity of people, you know, they expect to be a part of the organization, which I think is fair enough. But at the same time, it depends as an organization if you want to feel like you are an independent creative body or you want to feel more attached to the community that you're in, whether that is the one percent of that community or the ninety-nine percent of that community. I mean it's these are all choices that orchestras have to have to make. But so I do think both sides have have positives and negatives. I do think that American orchestras could learn from European programming, and I think that European orchestras could learn a lot um, about advertising and branding, you know from from the US, which sounds a very cold-hearted way of putting things, but um, that's the reality.
1: You have to hustle to get the audience out to to come listen. What do you think that American orchestras could learn from European programming?
0: Contemporary music. I would love to see more European composers being programmed in the U.S. And that's not because, you know, I, I come from the U.K. or whatever, but I think we need more of an exchange between American composers and composers that are based in Europe. I think it just feel, for me, artistically, like there is such a staunch divide.
1: Is there anything else that that was really meaningful to you in this trip and in your thinking about American orchestras? The whole experience made me so much more appreciative
0: of what it means to be a musician. And... It's interesting because I feel as though musicians in the top American orchestras are, let's say, on the surface, more appreciated by their organisations than some musicians who are in the top-tier orchestras in Europe. And I think that's to do with funding primarily. So I think with COVID, with a lot of that generation of donors also just passing away as people get older and their children not necessarily taking up the mantle of philanthropy. I think it'll be interesting to see how American orchestras change in the next 20 years. And I think they really will have to, furthermore, in the US, we're seeing more people moving out of cities and into the suburbs. And that means, you know, people don't want to be going to the big concert hall in the middle of town anymore. Um, So does that mean that orchestras will have to travel more or will have to set up, let's say, satellite halls in the suburbs? I don't know. But I think it's a very interesting time. And there are going to be a lot of interesting and difficult decisions to be made on both sides of the pond.
1: This trip to the United States came at a particular time in your own trajectory as an artist and as a conductor. Where would you place it? How did it get you from one part of your life to the next one?
0: Well, I would hope that throughout my life, you know, whatever my career brings me will will feel like a journey of discovery. And that's, (laughs) I don't want to be cheesy at all, but you know, you do want to just be the eternal student. You know, I hope to be conducting into my seventies and eighties. And I hope that if people will still have me, you know, I'll still feel like I have something to learn from the orchestras and from these pieces that I'm conducting. But for me, at that particular point in my life, I think there was this idea of, of just wonder. I felt my mind kind of really opening. I don't know how else to describe it. And I think it was to do with being someone who had primarily grown up in England and in France. And, you know, I would consider myself well-traveled, but then actually moving to a place that is so different and getting to experience that place in a much deeper way and more profound way. And I say more profound because, you know, I'm I'm not just moving there for pleasure, I'm moving there for work and for my work and my personal development. So it did feel just very new and exciting. And it felt like my vision of what the world was had changed. And for an artist and hopefully for a human being, that's kind of the most exciting thing.
1: I'm excited to see what you go on to do and what society you go on to create in the orchestras that you conduct. (laughs) And It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so
0: much. It was a real pleasure talking to you, Rachel.
1: Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast, a podcast series produced by Villa Albertine and Paradiso Media and hosted by Rachel Donadio. If you want to learn more about the residents of Villa Albertine, listen to it wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our channel, States. And if you liked it, leave a rating and spread the word. You can also follow us on social media and click on the link in the description of the episode.